right, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Good morning to Seco. Welcome to Seco. So open your Bibles. We study the book here every single week. So open it to the book of Ephesians. You'll get used to doing that because we're launching today into a long, detailed study of this great book. Ephesians, your life in the family of God. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word that we open and listen to now. Thank you that it's your word, it's not our words. Thank you that it's your wisdom, not our wisdom. Thank you that it's your understanding of our life, and we desperately need that. So help us to uh, clear up some of those lies about life and about you and about us that uh, Dawn was referring to in her story, and help us to learn to live according to truth and to know your word. So we uh, desperately need for you to teach us, to transform us with your word. We ask you to do that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to Ephesians and take out the outline. If you'd like to use that, it'll help you follow along, especially today. One of the most common questions that people ask you when they meet you is the question, who are you? So maybe I should just take a little survey here, okay? Uh, So, sir, excuse me, wake up. Who are you? I'm just kidding. You were wide awake. I understand. You were looking at your Bible. You were tuned in. Okay. But who are you? Rich Byer. Hi, Rich. Good to meet you. Yeah. Who are you? Shirley. Shirley. Good to meet you, Shirley. And, ah, a new face. Who are you? Michael. Michael. Good to meet you, Michael. And you're sitting next to this lovely lady. Who are you? Amy. Amy. Michael and Amy. Good. Welcome. Good. Now, if I'm asked, who are you? That's the way I would typically respond, just like they all responded. I would respond by saying, well, I'm Dale. But if someone pushed back a little further and said, yeah, I know that's your name, but that's just your label. That's not who you are. That make sense? So who are you really? Who are you really? So if I came over to this guy over here, I said, so, so who are you really? I already know your name's Rick, but Rick, who are you? There's a lot of answers. Ah, a lot of answers to that, okay. Yeah, a lot of different ways you could answer. What's the most common way you'd probably answer that? Your job. Yeah, you, you, you begin by saying, well, I'm a pastor. And I'd say, really? Okay, what, what else about you? And then maybe we go into the family. I'd say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm married, so I got, I got a wife named Becky. And then you'd say, well, do you have any kids? You know, and you start getting a little deeper and a little deeper. And next thing you know, I'm Dale. I'm husband to Becky. I'm pastor to Seacoast. I'm uh, uh, father to uh, Beth, Paul, and Jamie. Uh, I've, you know, I'm, I'm a father-in-law. You know, I, I've got seven grandkids, but you don't have time in this sermon to, to learn all their names. But, you know, you begin to kind of unpack all that because that's how we think when we say, who are you? But who are you if all of that went away? Because I'm still alive, I'm still here. What I'm really questioning this morning is the question, or raising is the question, who are you really? Not what do you do, not who are you in relationship with, but who are you? Who are you if everything else was stripped away? Jobs can be lost. Family, unfortunately, can be lost. So if I removed my job, my family... And it was just me. Who am I? You ever thought about how you would answer that? 
I want to help you do that this morning. Because how you answer that affects how you live your life. See, I think all of us carry around in our head what I would call a self-portrait. Psychologists sometimes call it your self-image. It's what you think about who you are. That's very, very significant. It's a portrait that's been painted over the years by different experiences in life. Who do you think helped paint your portrait of what you think when you say, who am I? Well, who, who painted the portrait? Answer? Parents were a huge part of painting that portrait. Because your parents would say, you know, Dale, you are, Dale, you are a troublemaker. Dale, you talk too much. Dale, you do this. Or Dale, you're a gifted child. Or Dale, there's not much hope for you. You know, these are all messages that we've heard growing up, right? And we've all heard these. And I think our parents have a huge influence. How about teachers? Yeah. How about teachers? How about other students? How about fellow friends? How about enemies? How about all kinds of messages that are fed into our minds and are, come into our ears and we hear them? And, and, and together, all the experiences of our life begin to, to paint this picture that really in the back of my mind, I have this self-portrait of who I am. Now, this self-portrait becomes important because it's not silent. In my homes, I've got portraits of my family and myself and Becky, and, and they hang on the wall. But one thing that I've noticed, I walk past them every day, they've yet to speak to me. Except they maybe remind me, wow, you used to look like that, okay? <laughs> wow, what happened to you, you know? You know, where'd the hair go, right? You know, so you know, there's a, they, they maybe speak to me in that way, but basically they are quiet. But one thing I've noticed is there's a self-portrait that hangs not on the walls of my home, but on the walls of my mind, of my soul. And it's very seldom silent. Because as I try to live my life every day, probably hundreds of times during the day, it's whispering to me things that it thinks about Dale. It says things to me like, Dale, you can do that. Or no, Dale, don't even try that. Or Dale, you've tried that before and really screwed up. Or Dale, there's no hope for that. Or Dale, why aren't you doing this? Or Dale, you should feel guilty for that. Or Dale, you know, it's, it's always speaking. I'm not just talking about my moral conscience. I'm talking about that little voice that's always either saying to me, Dale, be afraid, don't be afraid. Be angry, don't be angry. Handle it this way, not that way. Because it's always telling me what I should think about God, what I should think about life, what I should think about what's happening at the moment, what I should think about Dale in the midst of all of that. That portrait is a powerful portrait. The scriptures speak of this in many different ways, but one of the most common ways that it speaks of it is this idea of who are you. And it often talks about the fact that there's an old me and there's a new me. There's an old me before Christ, apart from Christ, and it's often called my old self, my old person, my, you know, and, and then there's the new me in Christ. And when we launch into our study, that will be not just for today, I'm really introducing three weeks of sermons in one introduction. Because over the next three weeks, we're going to explore, I think, the single richest passage 
for helping me get a new image of who I am in Christ. Listen to it as we launch into Ephesians chapter 1. Because the big question of the morning is this sense of my identity. Who am I? Ephesians 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, verse 3, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And it begins to then, in verses 4 through 6, explain what some of those blessings are. But I really believe verse 3 is not just introducing verses 4 to 6, it's introducing this whole chapter. In fact, in some ways, it's introducing the whole first half of this book. Because Ephesians is going to call us to live differently. And that's not uncommon. You go to church, you're challenged to live differently, right? But yet, Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1, we studied it last week, so I'm not going to go over it again in detail, but Ephesians 4, 1 is like this hinge in this book of Ephesians. Half of it points back to the first three chapters, half of it points back to the next, forward to the next four, three chapters, I can't do math, okay, yeah, the next three chapters, as it, as it says in this, it says, therefore, it says, therefore, uh, live worthy of your calling in Christ Jesus. That's my paraphrase. Therefore, live worthy of your calling in Christ Jesus. In other words, therefore, in light of this new you, this new calling of you in Christ, now just live that out in daily life. Because in daily life, I am to be transformed and live in a different life than I would live if Jesus had never come into my world. So what we're going to do today is begin to understand who is this new you in Christ. Because that's what's supposed to drive the way I live. And, uh, and I live that out. So who are you? When I ask the question, who are you? The better question is this. Who are you now in Christ? Because that is the real you. That is you in the presence of God. As in verse 3, that is you now blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You are in Christ in the heavenly places, standing in the presence of God. That's how God views you, so you are a new creation. You are a new person. And, and if I don't understand what that means, then it's impossible for me to really live that out. Does that make sense? Because I'm just going to keep hearing the voices of my old Dale the old Dale apart from Jesus is going to keep speaking to me lies and untruths when I think like, well, can I do that? Or should I do that? Or why do that? And, 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 and do I really think I have the ability to do that? Or should I be fearful of that or not? Or should I expect to have a perfect family or not? And do I need to project that image? And, and all of these things, I can't walk according to a calling that I don't understand. So we are going to have some fun. I'm, I'm going to have fun, and you can either choose to have fun or not. But I'm going to have some fun because I love this passage. We're going to look at it and understand why it's so important. So as we read it together, just listen to the Word of God. And we're going to begin to unpack the very first part of who are you in Jesus. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who's blessed us with all these spiritual blessings in Christ. Number one, just as He chose us, just as He chose us in Him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according 
to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in His Beloved. This is the first passage that begins to reshape the way I think about myself when someone says, Dale, who are you really? Don't tell me what you do for a living. Don't tell me what your family's like. Who, are, who is Dale now that he is in Christ? Now he's placed his faith in Christ. What has changed? Now before I take apart these details, let me mention very briefly three reasons why I'm going to take you through a three-week journey uh, on this. Why is it so important? Number one, being in Christ is more than just a touch-up of the old me. The passage I read earlier before Don got up was 2 Corinthians 5.17. Write it down. Look it up this week. It says that, if therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, new things have come. You are a new creation in Christ. Many people that are followers of Jesus Christ think of themselves as simply forgiven versions of the old me. In other words, I'm still the same old person I was when I came out of the womb. Nothing's really changed except I thank God Jesus died for my sins and I'm forgiven and I got a ticket into heaven. But you need to understand that is a very shallow and incorrect way to think. Because that is true of you. It's true that we're forgiven. It's true that Christ is our entry point into eternal life. But you are way more than that. You are a new creation. You're not the old Dale just touched up and forgiven. You have new life. It's so radical that Jesus, when he spoke about this to Nicodemus, Jesus used the metaphor. He said, in fact, when you come into relationship with me, Nicodemus, you are born again. This is like a new birth. This is you are born spiritually when you were dead. So this is a whole new life that you now have. Secondly, my my self-portrait that hangs in my mind now often reflects my past more than my present. It reflects my past, not the new me. So therefore, it speaks lies to me. Therefore, uh, for example, if you grew up, like most of us grew up, in a culture and a world in which there are several things that we heard. For so you, you could probably even complete some of these statements. Um, there is no free, yeah, there's no free lunch. There's no free ride in life. Therefore, you get what you deserve. Okay, you get what you deserve. There's no free lunch. You know, if you don't step up, you don't move up. I mean, if you don't perform, you don't get rewarded. You know, and this is the mentality we grew up in, right? And, you know, most of us grew up in that uh, from the culture. We grow up in that when we get a job, when we go to school. Uh, there, you know, you, you earn the grade, you get the grade you earn. And, and you know, so it's, that's just the way we live. And then that is true of the old me. But when it comes to my relationship with God, guess what? God just blew all that up. Because what we're going to see in a minute is that we have a relationship with God that's not based on you get what you deserve. No, you get what you don't deserve. Is there no free lunch? You bet there is a free lunch. There's not just a free lunch. There's a free eternity that's offered. Forgiveness is, is given by grace. We're going to see that this whole passage today will end with everything we learn is designed to end with the praise of the glory of His grace. It's in verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Because this is a grace-based relationship. And there is nowhere else in life that you experience it. I had loving parents who loved me. And I think they showed a lot of love for me. But 
to some degree, not even earthly parents, not even earthly parents can consistently love you by grace. Hopefully that's the closest you come to it. But there's still always this lingering, well, but, you know, if you don't make the grade, maybe they won't love you as much. It's touchy. But yet God is different as our Heavenly Father. So, you know, when you ask me, so Dale, who are you? How much are you loved? What can you do? What can you not do? You know, how should you think about God? I have this old picture of life that I grew up with, and some of it is messed up by input from teachers or friends or others or the critics in my life. I remember all of their criticism. You know, I remember all kinds of times in which if someone spoke uh, critically of me or, 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 or put me down or said, you'll never live up to that or you'll never become anything or why don't you do better or, you know, yeah, all of these messages just hang out in the old portrait of me. We're going to see that God has a new portrait. And that's the third reason why this is important is my new self-portrait in my mind, only comes into focus as I believe God's truth about me. So in chapter 1, verse 3, when he says, I want to start by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, safe and secure. You can't lose it because you are just in Christ. This is a, you're a whole new person. Wow. Wow. That changes the way I think. That changes the way I think, and that should change the way I live. Now, when I'm listening for these messages uh, a few years back, uh, to just kind of put a wrap on why I think this is so important, uh, I read a book by a Christian, uh, a Christian uh, psychologist that did a great job helping me at least understand, so Dale, what are the messages that are most important in the mind of every person? And he said there's really three different areas in which this picture of who am I really needs to answer. And here they are. I'll show them to you. In fact, I've given you a little diagram if you want to scribble some notes next to it. Number one is the question of my sense of security. Number two is my sense of significance. And number three is my sense of competence. And I need all three because they all three deal with questions that define Dale. Okay, let me show you. For example, security first deals with the question of, Dale, whose are you? Who do you belong to? Not in an ownership sense, but who loves you? The question of, am I loved? Every one of us walks around, if I ask, okay, so who are you? I say, who loves you? And how much? You know, I could, I could pick any of us in the room and say, how much do you know when and where and how do you feel loved because without love, you're in deep trouble. Every person on planet Earth needs to know they are loved. Know that they belong to, to not just a faith, but a family. And so some, is there family? Are there friends? And what about God? Are you loved? Whose are you? Significance raises the question of why are you? Because I may feel loved, but, you know, but I'm kind of unneeded. You know, who needs me? What's my purpose? What's my purpose in life? Why am I here? Do I have a sense that I'm valuable or valued by others or valuable to God even? You know, or am I just one more little 
creature that is in his creation and 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 i'm just i'm just another cosmic accident that came out of the primordial soup you know if you buy into an evolutionary worldview then i don't really have any purpose i just kind of am a i'm a cosmic accident or am i a created child of god that has purpose and meaning and god has a purpose for me people have a purpose for me i'm made to do something i have value i have purpose see what i'm talking about See, that's a big part of who I am. And the third question is, I need a sense of competence. You know, and this is not a prideful sense of competence, you know, but it's a sense that, wow, okay, how can I? I mean, how can I do whatever I do? Do I have a sense of self-confidence in terms of my abilities, even if it's rooted in how God enables me to do something? You know, do I have any ability? Now, if you take any one of those three out, I'm going to be a very unhealthy person, Right? Because I, I need all three. I need to know that I'm loved. I need to know that I'm not just loved, but I have purpose. And even if I know, well, I feel really loved and I have a lot of purpose, but I'm, but I'm such a loser, I can't do anything, life is not going to go very well. Amen? Yeah, so I need all three of these to really be a healthy individual that can be all that God wants me to be. I think God created us in His image to be able to answer these three questions. Now, I can answer them one of two ways. The old Dale has an answer for all of these based on everything that people have told me over the years about myself, based on how they've treated me. Can you imagine never really knowing whether or not you're loved? Can you imagine never really knowing whether or not you have purpose? Can you imagine never really knowing whether or not you are competent to do anything? And where does your competency come from and, and all of that? Okay, So all three are important. And, they're on the, and these three, when I ask the question, who are you? I think the real answer would be, well, how would you answer these three questions? And then you begin to get to the heart of what really matters. Now you say, Dale, I thought we were here to study the Bible. Why are we talking so much psychology? Here's why. When I studied the book of Ephesians and the first chapter in particular, it answers not one, not two, but all three of those questions. And it answers him in such a creative way that it shows me that God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit hold the key to answering not one, not two, but all three of those. For example, here's the answers. Here's where we're going today and the next two weeks. Security. Am I loved? Answer, yes. Because I am adopted by a heavenly Father who loves me with His grace. And praise to the glory of the grace of God that has loved me in Christ in a unique way. That's Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Next week, we're going to talk about significance. Do I have purpose? You bet. And it's grounded on the fact that I am redeemed by the Son. I'm adopted by the Father. I'm redeemed by the Son of God who, who valued me enough. He loved me enough to die for me. Wow. See, when you realize that you are so loved that God himself would die for you, that changes the way I think about Dale. Now I'm painting a new picture of me, right? So I am adopted by my Heavenly Father, loved securely. I have significance in that I am connected to Jesus Christ as I'm in Christ who died for me. Competence? What about competence? Well, this chapter will end in verses 13 and 14 saying this, Therefore, with the Spirit of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, isn't it cool? The Spirit of God has sealed me. Uh, it happens when He indwells me. 
I am indwelt with the very spirit and power of God. And that is the basis of me living out my life. So I have the ability of being indwelt with his spirit, the significance of being connected to Jesus and a part of the body of Christ, and I have the security that comes ultimately not by who I am in my old life, not by what I do in my new life, but simply by the grace of God in Christ. And that's the part we're going to unpack now for the second half of the sermon. Got it? Say yes. I know I'm asking you questions that you don't have to answer, but it helps me if you answer them. Okay. It helps with my insecurities. Okay. Make... Fool me, make me think you're listening. What's it mean to be so secure, so loved, that you are adopted by God into his family? Ephesians 1. Listen to it again. I read it a little bit ago. There are five, what I call, anchors to my security in Christ, my adoption of my heavenly Father. There are five aspects to it. All of them are anchored in the grace of God. Can I show them? Here they are. Number one, it says in verse four, just as he chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. Stop right there. The father chose me before I chose him. That's a radical difference from the way I was taught when I grew up. When I grew up, I was kind of taught, you know something? Um, I'm smart enough to figure it out and I chose Jesus and I choose Jesus and, 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 and that's not, totally incorrect because there was a point in which i decided to place my faith in christ so in in it is it's a fact i chose jesus but what this passage unveils to me is a whole deeper idea and that is before i chose jesus guess what he chose me so as someone person said it's like walking through a doorway on the one front of the door it says whoever will may come you know and the spirit says come and all these invitations in the scriptures to invite people to come to faith in Christ, I think those are legitimate invitations that are real. So I think that we, we, we have this open invitation to place our faith in Christ. I believe that. The mysterious side of this is when you walk through and begin that walk with Jesus, you look back at the door behind you, and it says that he chose me before the foundations of the world. You say, well, Dale, they both can't be true. I'd say, well, they can't be true in your little mind, but I have no problem with both being true in the mind of God. I think it's a bit of a mystery, but the reality is God chose me before I chose him. Now, why does that make me feel more secure? Because if God chose me because I chose him, if I get ticked off at God and I have a bad day or a bad week or a bad year, and maybe I say, you know, God, I'm kind of done with you. What happens? then God's done with me. See, my security is anchored in my performance. This says, guess what? No, you are so secure that God chose you before the foundation of the world. Before the universe was created, God looked down through time and for some reason that only He knows. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are chosen by God. Number two. The Father not only chose me, He now sees me as holy and blameless in Christ. Verse 4. Not only am I totally forgiven, but I am seen as holy and blameless in the heavenly places in the presence of God. So when I come before Him, before God, it says I am holy and blameless. Now, has God been given spiritual blindness? Yes or no? 
I mean, do you think God's blind to my sin? Because is Dale holy and blameless all the time? Answer that. I, my wife can answer that. Is Dale holy and blameless all the time? Okay. I don't want the rest of you to answer, but she knows. Okay. Because I'm not, and neither are you, and neither is she, although she scores better than me. But, you know, that's, that's the reality, is we still sin, but yet God doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us as holy. He doesn't see us as guilty. He sees us as blameless. And it's because Christ died on the cross for our sins. And Jesus, I mean, God the, God the Father looks at us through the lens of the cross, through the lens of Jesus Christ, and He sees our sin upon Christ paid for and done with. So in terms of how much He loves me, He relates to me on the basis of who I am in Christ, not just who I am in daily life. My identity is rooted in Christ, holy and blameless. Number three, the Father adopted me into full sonship. Look at verse 5. I love the language here. He predestined us, there's that mystery again, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. This idea of adoption blows my mind because what it emphasizes is I not only become a follower of Jesus, a part of a religious movement, I become a child of the King. I become a fully endowed, uh, blessed um, child of God. And he says that it's in Christ. Now, if you really want to blow this one up, look at this verse. It's Romans chapter 8, 15 to 17. Romans 8, 15 to 17. Listen to this language which kind of goes deeper into this idea how God adopts us into his family. It says, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear. You have no reason to fear God. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba, I've mentioned this to you before, but if you're new, it's the most um, endearing, um, uh, it's the most personal word for God in the Greek language. So it's like the difference between calling my father, yes, sir, or, yes, Father, to, what's the English? Dad. It's Daddy. Hey, Dad. Because it's a difference when I used to, in fact, one time, I remember I grew up with a father that loved me, and I would call him Dad. I would call him Dad. And one time in my life, he was getting after me for something, and I didn't like it, and he knew I didn't like it, and I answered him. I said, yes, sir. And he got his belt and threatened to use it on my backside because he knew that was a, I was actually being disrespectful, not respectful. You know, because I really was, you know, I said, all right, yes, sir. You know, and that, that was how it came across to him. I didn't say it that way. Maybe I did say it that way. <laughs> God wants you to know that he loves you so much, you can call him dad. You can call him dad. He adopts us into his son. The spirit of adoption as sons. We cry out, Abba, Father, Dad. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And then he says, and guess what? If you're a child of God, you're an heir also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
that the, we have an inheritance in Jesus Christ before God the Father. We're, we're not only children of God, you are like an heir to the riches of the kingdom. Wow. But all of that is not because of what we do. It's not because of how we live. It's not because of our performance. It's not because we're the blessed good child. It's because we are simply identified with Jesus Christ. No fear, new intimacy, new confidence, new inheritance. Number four, let's keep rolling. The fifth verse says, therefore, that God adopts us. And here's the phrase. I just want to keep seeing right in Scripture. He did this adoption according to the kind intention of His will. What that tells me is the Father's adoption of me was by His loving initiative. It was just His will. There are some that uh, would say, and I grew up for many years believing, that, well, God probably adopted me, chose me, because God knows everything. So God kind of looked down through time and He picked out the people that would be really nice and follow Him and choose Him. So since God knew that I would choose Him and be a good boy, God chose me. It's not what this teaches. He didn't choose me because of His knowledge of my goodness. He did it by the kind intention of His will. Now how that fits with this mystery of God, hey, I I can't explain all the mystery in this, but I can explain the truth. And the truth is, God chose me by His own sovereign choice, His own loving choice, and I don't, I will never understand why. Because I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. And therefore, it leads to the final point of our security in His love. My adoption is secured by His grace, not by my goodness. It's by His grace, not by my goodness. Which is why, by the way, this list of five truths that God chose me before I chose Him, He sees me as holy and blameless in Christ. He adopted me and made me a full-on heir with Christ. He adopted me by His loving initiative, not mine, and it was secured by His grace, not my goodness. And therefore, it results in what? It results in this, worship. It results in me wanting to worship Him because worship is the praise of the glory of His grace. See, it says all of this is done in this way for this reason that you and I, our response is simply this. Our response would be, wow, God, if you did this for me and it was all by your grace and I can never fully understand it, then just can I tell other people, can I praise you for the glory of your grace? Can I see grace as glorious, not just a theme of a song that we grew up with? Grace is not just amazing, it's glorious because it is totally undeserved, totally by the will of God totally His initiative when we didn't deserve it. And it results in me being an adopted, secure, forever, by the grace of God, child of His. Now how does that affect me? It changes the messages that I hear from the portrait in my mind of who am I. I am an adopted, loved, secure child of God 
And if I constantly remember that, it changes what I do. When I struggle with sin, it, it cha- I don't have to hide it from God. I can come to Him because I know He has saved me by His grace. I know that He is my heavenly dad. I know he wants me as his child to crawl up on his lap and let him love on me when I am failing. See, it changes everything. It means that when, I, when, when I'm having a great time, let me flip it the other way. It changes how I feel about myself when I've just achieved something wonderful and, and I'm moving up and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm doing a good job and my family's going well and my job and my career's going well and you're making the bucks and making the money and successful. What it changes, if, is, if all of this is by the grace of God, guess what? It changes it from pride to praise. Because I don't become prideful on my good days. I praise God for His incredible grace that's made me who I am. And on my really bad days, I don't give up. Because I know that that same grace picks me up and says, Dale, you're still loved, you're still secure, you can move forward. Especially if you learn what we're going to study the next two weeks. It's all to the praise and the glory of His grace. If you only have a portrait of yourself that says, I'm not secure, I don't feel loved. If I, if I am loved, it's based on, i got to earn it. It changes everything in your life. I've had a deeper appreciation for this over the last few weeks. And I close with this analogy or this metaphor, that it's not my metaphor, it's God's of adoption. Becky and I never adopted children. We felt overwhelmed by the three that God gave us naturally. So the idea of adopting for us was like, okay, God, that's just, we pray that other people adopt children. Um, And some of you were the answer to our prayer, so thank you for doing that. But we never did. For the first time, Beginning about a month ago, we met a young man who's about ready to turn 13. Uh, We met a young man, a young 12-year-old boy, who at age 5, his mother disappeared on him. At age 5, his stepfather, who had a couple other kids also, said, I can't handle this many kids. So he was chosen, but he was chosen to be the one to be given over to the state. Checked in with social services and said, this one's yours. In the meantime, for the last uh, seven plus years, he's been in 15 different schools, never finished the same school year with the same class once ever. He's had three or four failed adoption attempts where people said, we're going to not just be your foster parents, but we'll be your adoptive parents. We want you and our family. And they all washed out. None of them worked. The worst case I heard was one where a person that was going to adopt this young boy decided, I can't handle this boy. He's, got, he's not perfect. He's got problems. So they took him to school, dropped him off that morning. Um, they drove took all of his, went home, packed up all of his possessions, dropped the possessions off at social services and said, um, you pick him up after school. Uh, I'm done. 
What do you think that does to the portrait that speaks in that boy's mind about whether he's loved, about whether he's good enough to be loved, about whether he'll ever be loved or have family? So these are the messages that this boy hears. So the insecurities and the actions that flow out of those insecurities and are are not not pretty. Um, but our son and his wife decided that, along with their three children and one that they lost, who's in heaven, but they have three beautiful children already. But they said, you know, we think God wants us to give the love of God to a child that doesn't have it. So they are adopting this boy. So Lord willing, in the next few months, as that moves from foster care to adoption, he becomes part of our family. That there is now a, there'll be a new, his name will change. He'll be a Burke. But not just a name change, because as I told you in the beginning of the sermon, that's just his label. But what we're praying for is the change of the message that he hears. That he knows for the first time there are people and there is a God who loves you and will not give up on you. And that you are secure in that love. And that he will be fully adopted into our family just like any other kid that's in our home. And imagine the difference that makes for that kid's life. So here's the question. Have you let Jesus Christ make the same difference in your mind? And is it playing itself out in how we live our lives, knowing that we now are in a relationship with a God who has loved us, adopted us, made us part of his family, and that you are so secure in his love and his grace, there is nothing you can do to take yourself outside of his grace. That should change everything. But it takes time. The old portrait is still there, and it lies to you. You're not good enough. God really is not going to put up with you. You do that, and you're out. You don't think you can follow Jesus. You really can't live the Christian life that God is calling you to live. You don't really have purpose. You don't really have abilities. And you certainly don't have security. Those are the lies of the enemy, painted stroke by stroke in your old portrait. It's time to throw that out, replace it with a portrait that just says under it, me, in Jesus. New. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for the newness of being in Christ. Thank you for how you have radically changed us. And I pray, Father, that if we have a single person here today who wishes to be in this family, to have this relationship with this Heavenly Father, I would invite them to take, take Jesus up on his invitation. where he says, whoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
that that invitation is a mysteriously wonderful, open to every person in this room invitation. So would you today say, Lord, I thank you for dying for my sins and I choose Jesus today. And I thank you that the real mystery is that he even chose me. But I choose you today as my Savior, my Lord. I want to follow you. Help me to uh, begin to listen to the truths of who I am in Christ and live that out in Christ's name. And Father, as we worship in our giving, it's, again, we give because you first gave for us. Help our giving to be in response to this incredible grace, to the praise of the glory of your grace. Amen.